Pearson Ravitz story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. This is part two of two for the Physician's Guide to Divorce. If you haven't heard part one, definitely check it out. Stay tuned for part two. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. So you had mentioned that a prenup can't supersede child support or time with the children, right? Are there any other ways in which a court or a state law can supersede a prenup? Like something was written into the prenup and the court goes, no, this is actually not okay. Okay, that's a great question. So, you know, it depends state to state. So like, for instance, I know other states love or or we always hear about these celebrities, right? You committed infidelity. If you cheat on me during the marriage, you're going to owe me $1 million. We don't, we do not in Illinois deal with those types of things because they're so wishy-washy. The courts don't like them. We could try to do them. They're really hard to prove. Other states love them. So those are things that are able to be put in some states. Other states don't like those provisions. And, you know, for me, if it's my client, I'm thinking to myself, look, if we're already negotiating this term, like there are major problems. I'm seeing red flags all over the place here. But short of that, the kid stuff has to come out and anything that kind of ties things to children, we want to be careful with. So for instance, if someone's like, well, I'll let you stay in the house if you have children for X amount of time if we get a divorce. I'm always a little hesitant because there's still a children-related aspect to it. So we want to be careful with those negotiations. Yeah. Using the children as like leverage or when a negotiation or having a child as leverage is just makes me, you know, kind of cringe. Yeah. So you had mentioned that like some of these things vary state to state. Can you talk about some of the other variables that can change state to state? Sounds like a lot. Yeah. A lot can change state to state. Yeah. So it can be anything, you know, so long our child support statute and what people have to pay in child support in Chicago is probably much different than New York City, probably much different than Miami. So although I just had some stuff in Miami and actually we were very close, Florida law and Illinois was pretty similar. Some states are community property states and some states are not. What is that? What is community property? It's basically, do you own property together by default? Is it community property? Illinois is not like that. There are rules in our divorce code about what is joint property and what's presumed to be marital property. But 
there's different presumptions in every state. Going back to the prenup, the prenup would really make black and white what and how would be joint property or your separate property. That's one of the reasons people like prenups. Well, so how do you know which state you're getting divorced in? Like, is the state that you get divorced in the state you got married in, that you wrote the prenup in, that you've been living in for the last year? Basically, every state has laws on where and how you can file. So most of the state, if you're living there for a period of time, that would be an adequate place to file for divorce. So somebody has to be living there. Usually they have property there. In Illinois, you are a resident of Illinois for the last 90 days preceding the divorce filing. It's not the divorce date. You could up and move after you've got it filed. But sometimes we do have arguments. So if, like, for instance, you're married to another doctor and that doctor moves to New York City and you live in Chicago, there could be an argument of what is the best venue, where to file. But that, again, is a strategy call that you want to talk to your lawyer about. So you could presumably find a place that's going to be the most favorable. If you're planning on getting a divorce, you can get a locum's job temporarily for a couple of months in that place. Take your family with you being like, we're going on sabbatical. And then surprise, file for divorce there. You could technically, it all depends on the timing. So usually for a home state, if you have children, no courts will agree that that's their home state unless they've been there for six months. However, there's all these little rules for people just like that that want to play those games about, was it a temporary residence? Did you mean to come back? Was it a temporary job? And that's where, for our listeners, try not to outsmart yourself. You know, yeah. I know the doctors are so smart. You know, lawyers are smart. But like when you start getting into these outsmarting yourself questions, yeah. it's probably going to bite you financially. So yeah. do the right thing. You're intentionally being devious. Yeah. Yeah. Don't outsmart the system because it's yeah. going to cost a lot of money and you probably will lose. So let's, can we talk a little about spousal support and child support and separation of property? Those issues. Let's start with child support. Okay. Let's just start with child support. So child support is generally takes into consideration both parties' incomes or whether they have an income. And then it also looks at, at least in Illinois, how often each party has the children overnight. And we have a calculator. It is not available. The calculator kind of cuts off at a joint income of $500,000. So if you are two doctors, you're probably making over that. So then you're going to look at the needs of the children. So for instance, there's you're two doctors and 60% of the time the children are with dad and 40% of the time mom. We're going to figure out what the children's needs are and who's going to pay what expenses directly and then how much child support should be. I mean, does it take into account the fact that like typically the kids are getting clothes from Gucci versus Target, even though the income of the parent, like you've got two sets of parents, one set of parents shops at Target, the other shops at Gucci. Is that going to change the child support? Not unless that's what they've been doing forever. So I always get these couples in and they're mad because the last five years, let's just say mom shopped at Gucci and put the kids all in Gucci and dad was shopping, you know, at Target. Well, but dad sat there for five years and remained married and let that keep happening. So now you've established a status. Spent the whole time stewing and yes. the divorce while that was happening. Your stewing is biting you in the butt. Okay. Oh, so oh, don't do it. So what the court's going to look at is like, what's the status quo of these kids? What do they need? What are they used to? And can we make it happen? Can we keep it the same? I'm stewing at an imaginary situation because uh -huh. that does, that's not what happens in my house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just had a trial. I mean, we went to trial for many days and that was one of the issues. 
One client wanted to buy Gucci loafers for their kids and they were, you know, eating away at their savings and the other party couldn't get their head around it. Yeah. And but he let it happen for how many years, you know? Yeah. No money in the 529, but, uh, you know, fancy slippers. Exactly. Got to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Okay. So what about spousal support? Is that, you know, similar idea? Spousal support, similar idea. They're going to look at, you know, a lot of factors. So, you know, is the one spouse who's not the moneyed spouse capable of getting employment or is there anything that's holding them back? Do they need more education? Like for doctors, sometimes when two doctors have children together, I've seen a lot of doctors, one side of the couple steps back from the career to watch the kids. It just makes sense for their family, which is fine. But then when they want to return or when they're going through a divorce, They need some more schooling or they need credits towards education to get their licensure back up. So those are all things that are taken into consideration when we're figuring out what alimony or maintenance would be. Usually the length of payment is related to how long you've been married. You could view it from the lens of like, you know, let that spouse go back and like start earning an income because then the spousal support is probably like a shorter runway because then they're going to be working more and they can earn more of an income, right? Exactly. That's totally true. So we want to get them into the workforce sooner rather than later because that will modify the support. And that helps everybody because then that person gets more independence and is less of an economic burden on the person who's supporting them. Absolutely. Okay. And then what about separation of property? So separation of property, I mean, Illinois, again, it's not an equal state, meaning it's not a 50-50, it's an equitable state. So the court has a little bit of jurisdiction to say, hey, I think this party should have a little bit more than 50% or less, whatever the court wants to do. And so I think most states are probably similar in that they give the court a little bit of leeway. And why would somebody maybe get more than 50%? Well, let's just say that two doctors, one doctor steps back to watch the kids or raise them. At the end of the day, when they know that it's divorce time, they've been out of the workforce 20 years and now they're 55. I mean, the reality is they're not getting back into their career. So there's a finite amount of money. There's probably some support. Maybe a judge says, hey, this person who's been out of the workforce and really is never going to get back in at that level is going to be entitled to a little bit more of the property than 50-50. And when you say the property, how are we defining the property? Yeah, property would be on a balance sheet. What I'd be looking at is any bank accounts, investment accounts, 401ks, retirement accounts, any restricted stock or stock units, that kind of thing. And they all have different tax implications. So a good divorce attorney, you're going to be asking them, like, how are they split? Does it make sense to try to shift some assets, you know, for tax purposes to one party or the other? They're not always the same as cash. So you want to keep that in mind. And what about like, a house, a vacation house, an investment property. So that might not show up on the balance sheet. That shows up on the balance sheet with like value, but not with like a liquid. Yeah. So the way that I do it is I put it on the balance sheet. First of all, I would have all the properties in an ideal world valued with a okay. real appraiser. That's going to cost, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, 3000 to to 1000 bucks, depending on how big the property is. But you get a real appraisal number. Then we put on what's the mortgage, how much is owed on it. We figure out what the equity is. So we want that in the balance sheet because we want to make sure we're talking apples to apples. So you want a comprehensive balance sheet in order to see big picture. If you're piecemealing, it's a really bad way and you're, it's a really good way to get something missed at your divorce. How much of this applies in like 
a common law marriage. And actually, can you first define what a common law marriage is? Well, we don't have common law marriage, but my limited knowledge of it is that basically you're not legally married, but you've been together for a long time. You're buying property. You're acting like husband and wife or spouse and spouse. And therefore, the court basically says de facto you're common law married and therefore you have rights. We don't do that in Illinois. We don't acknowledge common law. In fact, I think it's kind of tricky if there are cases with common law marriage because they're so fact intensive. And that would be an interesting way to get divorced because like you thought you were just moving out and then you didn't realize that in your state there's actually common law marriage. So you're actually not just moving out, you're getting divorced too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You need to know what you're signing up for. So, you know, what I'm doing now a lot of and what I'm hearing, there's rumblings. I've got a lot of friends all over the country that are divorce lawyers. So what I want to tell your listeners is that if you need a referral, it doesn't matter. I mean, I just referred somebody in Arkansas today. Feel free to send me a message. I will get you some referrals of good lawyers wherever you are because every area is different. But what we're doing a lot of now are what's called cohabitation agreements. So, you know, it's two people who are not married for whatever reasons, want to either live together, buy a house together, et cetera. And it's an agreement that basically says, this is what happens if you break up or need to sell this house. You guys are living together, you have an agreement, but this is not a common law marriage and you are not married. It's just an extra protection. You mentioned a couple of times a physician couple, right? Where both are physicians. Is there a difference in how the court sees each parent in that situation? And what I mean by that is, male versus female, or, you know, you can frame it as like one was working more and one was doing more childcare. You know, physicians are a unique breed because, you know, they work hard. They are great at their skill generally. They've gone through a lot of schooling. A lot of times they play hard, but their hours are sometimes really funky. Sometimes they also are not paid what they should be paid if they're in a hospital system. We appreciate you saying that. (laughs) I appreciate you guys because when you come in and I'm watching these doctors who have gone through all this schooling and I see their salaries, I mean, I get to see everyone what they're making. And I'm thinking to myself, you're working this hard for this salary. So kudos to you who are at, you know, the hospital systems that aren't making the money, but you're, you know, killing yourself. It's amazing. And then there are the doctor couples who are, you know, own their own practices and have this, you know, fabulous business going on. So there's all these business issues as well. So A court is going to look at, first of all, when we're dealing with kids, what do your schedules look like? Because we all know that if you're in a hospital system or you have partners, your schedule may not be your own. You may have call on weekends. You may have call on weekdays. So effectively, we need to get a handle on what your schedule looks like and whether you have any ability to modify it. Because when there's a divorce, if you do have the ability to modify it, you may work with your lawyer to say, hey, this might be the best schedule for you for work, but also for your kids to get the most time with your kids. So that's something that a court wants to know. The court wants to know what's your schedule look like? When have you been around in the past? And can you modify it to be around more now? Do you have any advice specifically for like physician mom, like if the physician mom and they're married to a non-physician or the physician dad and they're married to a non-physician, like do you have any specific advice for those situations? My advice is just do the best you can. At the end of the day, whatever's been working for you in the past, we can work with it. I'm not saying append your life, quit your job, you know, because you're going to go through a divorce. That's not it at all. 
So if you are a physician, let's just say mom married to a non-physician who has maybe a more, you know, normalized schedule, the court is going to look at your schedule and try to work around it to make sure that your kids are with you as much as possible, as long as you are a healthy parent and there's no real problems. You shouldn't be worried about the fact that, you know, your schedule's a little wacky because it worked for you that entire time with your marriage. And now it should still work for you. It may need a little bit of tweaking. And that's something you can talk to your lawyer about. But you shouldn't be out there just completely flip-flopping your schedule or freaking out or stepping back without having a plan in place with your lawyer. You mentioned healthy parent. And I just want to make sure that like if there's a subtext there, because, you know, one thing that we talk a lot about with physicians and on the show is the mental health of physicians and how, you know, at risk we are for having mental health issues. So if you were a physician who was in therapy for anxiety, depression, right, could that be potentially used against you? I always say this to everybody, and that is such a good question. There's no shame in getting help. None. The shame comes in is when you don't get the help. So the problems come in when you don't get the help. So if you are truly being treated the right way and you are getting the therapy you need and you are on medication that you need and you're using it as prescribed, nothing is going to be held against you. And your behavior, I should say, obviously with physicians too, that your medication is helping your behavior, whatever behavior that is. You should not be ever worried about doing what's right for you because you're in a super high stress, high pressure job, just like we are as divorce lawyers. And you need to be okay because if you're not okay, your kids are going to be okay. Myself, it actually helped. One of the things that helped my marriage was going into therapy myself. And one of my major motivators for going into therapy was I was not being the dad that I wanted to be, that I thought my kids deserved. And doing it has helped me to. I'm not super dad, but I'm definitely moving in that direction. So and it helped my marriage. So, you know, maybe if you're second guessing the decision to do that, you know, the I always say this to my patients. It's one of those things that has no side effects. It's like, what's the harm in it? That's what I would say. Just go find somebody, start it for a few sessions. If you walk out of there and you're like, ah, that was kind of nice, then you know you're in the right place and keep it up. If, you know, your gut will tell you whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. And whether you're getting stuff out of it. You mentioned at the beginning of the show, right? One of the first steps is to interview lawyers. If you're trying to find the right lawyer, it needs to be someone, as you said, that you, you mesh with, that you feel like you're going to be okay spilling all of your dirty secrets to, right? Because they're going to know everything about you. So how do we make sure we find the right lawyer and avoid the wrong one? Mm-hmm. So there's a few things that you want to look at. Make sure that the website is well done. If you're in a small town, it's totally different. So take what I'm saying and throw it out the window because it's a totally different beast. But if you're in a closer to a big city, you're going to want to look for, you know, well-established firms that have been around for a long time. Like my firm's been around for 65 years. And so look for the well-established firm. Look for the good credentials on their website. Look for what are good credentials? What do you mean by that? Well, it will list where they went, hopefully where they went to law school, where they went to college. It will list accolades. It will list any organizations that they belong to that are professional. You want to see that they belong to organizations and that they're professional. Also, you may want to get them referred from a good referral source. And who do I think are good referral sources? Not Facebook, not, you know, (laughs) normally, not normally your neighbor, those kind of things. That'd be an interesting way to find a lawyer, right? Like you can find a doctor that, hey, does anyone need a good ENT? But like, 
that's going to be an interesting way for your spouse to find out that you're going to be filing as you posted on the Agreed. family Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. So you just want to do your due diligence. Ask around if you are comfortable. If you're not comfortable, then look online, figure out what the good divorce firms are. Feel free to pick my brain. You can find me at Divorce Attorney Chicago on Instagram, or you can find the podcast at How Not to Suck at Divorce. We're one of the top podcasts worldwide for divorce on Apple. So we answer every DM, any referral, we will get you names. So if you're worried about it, don't worry. But I want to say one thing, which is there's a common misperception that, you know, you've been wronged and you've got to go find the shark. And what I always talk about on the podcast is it could not be more wrong. And any good divorce attorney can be a shark when needed. But a shark to me means a big, giant waste of your money. And so you want to find somebody who can represent you, but can also turn on a dime. So somebody who's creative and strategic and that you feel comfortable with and not somebody who's just going to go blow up the case and fight tooth and nail and take all your money at the end of the day. Yeah, because you don't want it to be an adversarial relationship. You want it to be, you want to say, as you said in the beginning of the show, you started off as a family and you want to end it as a family, but just the dynamic is a bit different. You know, someone who's going to facilitate that as an adversarial relationship clearly doesn't have you and your family's best interests at heart. Agreed. And then there's one other common misconception since we're talking about it, which is if your divorce attorney is friendly with the other divorce attorney, that's a bad thing. That's not always a bad thing. In fact, I say it's a good thing because those are the attorneys who get things done. So if you're friendly, that's good. I can fight with my, you know, opponent all day long, but still at the end of the day, say, have a nice night. And so those are the relationships that you are hoping that your attorney and the other attorney has. You do want to ask your attorney if the other side already has an attorney, do you get along with the other attorney? And if they do, that's a good thing. If they say, I absolutely cannot stand the other attorney, we don't get along, that's a red flag. You probably want to use somebody else. Amazing. Well, I think you mentioning the podcast is a great, great way to bring this to a close. Again, for all of those, if you're thinking, if you're in the pre-contemplative stages of divorce or you're already headed in that direction, check out How to Not Suck at Divorce, the podcast. And what was that Instagram handle again? Yes, it's at How Not to Suck at Divorce. And then my Instagram handle is at Divorce Attorney Chicago. Well, Morgan Stogsdill, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Thank you. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit pearsonravitz.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.